0: All right, Alexander, let's uh, talk about Brexit. (laughs) Is is it right if I say the betrayal of Brexit? Is that correct? Because I was reading a bunch of articles and I was looking at some Twitter threads and some people are calling this trip from Ursula to to meet with various officials, including the king, uh, about this deal that's being put together. Uh, The betrayal of Brexit, a lot of people are saying this is, This is it. This is how everything gets walked back. And we did a video talking about this about a week, week and a half ago, and it looks like that's what's happening. Is it correct to say that? Are we seeing the the walking back of Brexit?
1: Yes, we are. We're seeing the walking back of Brexit. And can I just say, she is indeed on her way. In fact, I believe she's in London as we're making this program. And the fact that she's meeting the king is really extraordinary because, of course, As a result of that meeting, in effect, the king is coming out now quite openly as somebody who supports closer connections, relations with the European Union, with the EU, and is basically saying to everybody that he personally is against Brexit. Now, that's a very unwise move for the king to make. I am sure that the late queen would never have done this. (laughs) But apparently the king has. Now... My guess is this has been done on the advice of the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. The Prime Minister usually advises the monarch whom to meet and whom not to meet. But of course, if this kind of advice had been given to the late Queen, I'm confident she would have rejected it because she was always extremely careful to keep, to stay above the political battle. The King actually, this time by, as I say, meeting Ursula in this kind of scenario is, as I said, clearly, or at least he's going to be seen by many people to be taking sides. And I'm sure his advisers have told him that, and I'm sure he knows that. And nonetheless, that's apparently the decision that he's made. But coming back to the substance of what's going to happen, I don't there's any doubt at all about what this is all about. It is we're back to where we were with Theresa May. I mean Theresa May's Brexit if you remember was all about keeping Britain in some form within the European single market. The point was that under the Northern Irish um, protocol agreement whatever it was that she was she she was going to negotiate with Brussels with the EU um, she made a she gave an absolute undertaking that there would be a, um, an open border between Northern Ireland and the Irish Republic. Um, She also made promises to the Ulster Unionist parties, the Unionist parties, the Protestant parties in Ulster, that Britain would operate as a single united whole. It would not allow, there would not be any divisions between Northern Ireland and the rest of Britain on economic or trade issues. So as a result, what she was, in effect, manoeuvring to do was by saying that there will be an open border between Northern Ireland and the south of Ireland, whilst at the same time keeping the whole of Britain, including Northern Ireland and including the British mainland, um, as a single economic unit. That, in effect, meant that Britain would continue to be within the European single market. Now, that was vigorously opposed by a large group of MPs within her own party, including, by the way, the former Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Uh, There were numerous parliamentary revolts against her over this. Eventually, she fell. It was a very unpopular policy. If you remember um, the Brexit party that Nigel Farage... uh, put together, challenged her back in 2019 and in the early spring and early summer of 2019 seemed to be on the rampage. They were winning seats after seats. They won a smashing victory in the European Parliament elections, which were still held in Britain in the spring of 2019. The result was that Theresa May had to step down. Boris Johnson came along. He basically tore up Theresa May's idea. He had a meeting with Macron in New York and he came to an agreement with Macron's help with the EU, whereby these two things were separated. So Northern Ireland stayed within the European single market, but the rest of Britain was able to step out and there were supposed to be certain transitional arrangements, and this was supposed to be a provisional arrangement, but it's fairly well accepted that Johnson's ultimate intention was to scrap the whole agreement that Theresa May had made. But, of course, he fell, and now Rishi Sunak has taken over, and he's basically gone back to the arrangement that Theresa May made. And that effectively leaves Britain back in the European single market, which is what is the core of the European Union. And to my mind, it's only a matter of time now before we get another referendum in five years, ten years' time, which whose purpose will be to bring us back in.
0: Yeah, so that's why uh, Ursula is flying to, to meet with, with the king and... I imagine she's going to meet with Rishi Sunak as well, and this is kind of the the way to uh, to make the, the, the it's the symbolism of the betrayal. You know, being completed, you know, that's, yeah, that's, absolutely. that's getting all these people together. This, well, is, this is, is what it is. This is seal, well, sealing the deal here. Well, exactly. Yeah, As yeah. I
1: understand it, there's going to be a signing ceremony. I mean, she's this, so I mean, you know, yeah, we've actually yeah. got a deal done. Now, what this means, by the way, is, and I think this is a point which perhaps is important to understand, is that Rishi Sunak has, in my opinion, signed the death warrant of the Conservative Party at least. With respect to the next general election, I mean, this is going to be very, very unpopular with many Conservative voters. Um, many people in those red wall seats, the working class seats that had previously voted and consistently voted Labour, and which in 2019, because these were solid pro Brexit uh, constituencies, they switched over to the Conservative side at the time when the conservative party were led by boris johnson well i i can't imagine that that's this this deal that sunak is doing will go down well there i'm sure conservative support in these seats will collapse and it's highly likely that a lot of other conservative voters more traditional conservative voters who support brexit will be deeply angered and um there will undoubtedly be divisions within the conservative party many conservative MPs who are brexit supporters are going to be furious with this and they've already made that fact known so there's going to be a split within the conservative party at a time when the um, whole economic situation in britain is Terrible, can I say, just to give an idea of how terrible it is. You remember a few weeks ago I was telling you that we're out of eggs (laughs) in London. It's almost impossible to buy eggs. You can, by the way, now buy eggs. They come from very high-end farms and they're very expensive eggs. But you can, if you're prepared to pay a very high, large amount of money, buy eggs. But in the supermarkets, they're still not on sale. Um, Then there was the problems with potatoes. (laughs) We were shorted potatoes for a time. That has, to a certain extent, been resolved, but now fruit and vegetables have practically, well, I won't say they've completely disappeared from British supermarkets, but they are rarely to be found. And this is all over the the media here, by the way. And can I stress again, there's all kinds of explanations why this is so. There is only one explanation, in my opinion, and this is that we have a very high inflation problem in Britain and it's becoming increasingly unattractive, unprofitable to sell these basic food products at acceptable prices for the producers because those prices are no longer affordable by many consumers so this as a result we're starting to see shortages well so we have an economic crisis we have this split within the conservative party over brexit as well and we are therefore certain now to see the conservatives going down badly a major defeat for them in the next election now sunak must know that but clearly his priority, and I'm going to suggest this has been the priority all along. You remember what I was saying at the time of the list trust uh, thing, the uh, offensive against list trust and quasi-quarting? His priority clearly is to bring us back into the single market. And if the Conservatives lose the election, well, so be it.
0: Yeah, you know... Back with the Theresa May stuff, I mean, you were hearing a lot about how the how the Conservative Party was was outraged with what Theresa May was about to do, and you know it led to her eventual collapse. You know, it, I'm, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that the Conservatives are upset. Maybe they are. I'm sure they are. Right. But you don't. It, it's not the same level of anger no. that that was being presented to to someone like me. Uh, back, back when Theresa May was prime minister. And I think one of the reasons is because, you know, they have to keep everyone united and focused to a certain extent on the greater enemy, the bigger enemy, which is, you know, Vladimir Putin. And the bigger, the bigger topic at hand is Ukraine. So Ukraine seems to, I think it's, it's the perfect distraction and the perfect cover for them to get this Brexit um betrayal completed to get these signatures uh, done away with and and to get you know the uk back into back into the eu keep everyone no matter how angry you are as a tory uh parliamentarian don't get too angry so that we ruin the 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 ukraine projects that we show even the smallest crack in our government, because we wouldn't want Vladimir Putin capitalizing on those cracks and and taking advantage of it and, and it does provide a good a good cover and even boris johnson i I don't, I don't know maybe i'm stretching it here, but I think even Boris Johnson was shrewd enough to understand that to get into power he would have to take the the brexit the pro brexit uh position but Boris Johnson deep down inside was always about remain and so even he understood that perhaps supporting Ukraine like really supporting Ukraine would be his way of maneuvering back into power eventually with the UK back in the EU. I'm not saying he planned all of this out. I'm saying a lot of this probably came, you know, by chance and but he probably saw the opportunities and politically he understood how to position himself before Brexit and then how to position himself after Brexit and he saw the opportunity that Ukraine presented to him so that he can find a way to to get back into power and you know now he'll he'll be able to in his mind, maybe he'll be able to be a prime minister within the European Union, which I think for Boris Johnson is the best of all worlds anyway, maybe I'm I'm, I'm stretching things a bit too much, but definitely Ukraine, no matter how angry the Tories are. I think Ukraine provides a perfect uh, cover to to hide their anger or at least to to dilute their their um, their dismay towards towards Sunak and it'll keep Sunak in power because you gotta focus on Ukraine, you've got to focus on Putin.
1: I I agree with that. I mean I think Sunak is gonna remain Prime Minister right up to the election when he's gonna lose and step down and we'll have Prime Minister Keir Starmer who is of course a committed Europeanist and remainer, and has always been so, and was one of the leaders of the uh, a second referendum campaign. Remember all of that? I mean, you know, he was somebody who was very keen on the second referendum. But, you know, on Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson has only one priority, which is Boris Johnson. <laughs> He's not interested in anything else, or so I've uh, come to feel. I mean, this has been a widespread view about Johnson all along including within the Conservative Party. And I think this is true about Brexit. I think he knew perfectly well that he wasn't going to become Prime Minister um, before 2016 um, without something big happening, because most of the Conservative Party leadership, the MPs, didn't like him. And he found Brexit... And he surfed the Brexit wave. He's positioned himself to become the leader of the Brexit, the official Brexit campaign, which is, by the way, completely separate and independent of Nigel Farage's. And it's important to make that point. The the two have never got on. Farage has never liked Johnson. Johnson has never had any time for Farage. The two men are in no sense allies. But anyway... Johnson served the Brexit wave, and it served him in the end all the way to Downing Street. He uh, was a major person organising the conspiracy against Theresa May. And, of course, he was part of the well, conspiracies, the plots, the intrigues the, that were taking place against Theresa May. When Theresa May fell, perhaps deservedly, he then became Prime Minister... And he continued to surf the Brexit wave. And on the basis of that wave, he won his big parliamentary majority. But as soon as he became consolidated as prime minister, he lost interest in the subject because Boris doesn't have... He's not interested in governing as such. And that is something that I think became very obvious after the 2019 election. I mean, he, he never actually sat down and worked and came up with plans or projects or ideas about how to make Brexit work. And then along comes the subject of Ukraine. And I think, you know, Boris, who has both the Churchill complex, he imagines himself to be Churchill's biographer. He's actually written a biography of Churchill. Not a good one, by the way, a very poor one. Uh, but anyway, he imagines himself to be Winston Churchill. He likes to pose as the as a churchillian figure but anyway along comes ukraine and it's the next it's the it's the next cause that he thinks he can surf on and that's why he adopts ukraine i don't think it was planned that he would take us back into the eu i don't think that's how boris johnson thinks you're just surfing along he surfs brexit he surfs ukraine it didn't quite work for him with ukraine but there we are. I don't think he's going to be particularly be bothered about the fact that, as I said, this is all being reversed. He'll speak out against it, but I don't think he's going to be particularly bothered. And in terms of the Conservative Party, it's important to remember that if you are talking about the Parliamentary Conservative Party, the MPs in the House of Commons, by a big majority, they always supported Theresa May. And they always supported Theresa May's plan. So it's Conservative membership in the country that will be unhappy. But to be frank, and this is the fundamental difference from the period now and the period of the Brexit war, you know, the Brexit war from 2016 to 2019... People are just tired. I mean, they've been worn down. We've discussed this many times. I mean, this is how the EU machine works. It just exhausts you. And given that the British establishment works with the um, um, EU machine, well, you know, you can organise, you can protest, you can do all kinds of things. But ultimately... You can't you know it's very, very difficult to win against this thing. What it would have taken to have won against the you know the, the, the axis of the British establishment and the EU was a tough, strong-minded, disciplined prime minister running a tough, strong-minded, disciplined government. A Margaret Thatcher, for example, prepared to give Brexit and, you know, the government of Britain uh, all the work that needed, 15 hours work a day, plus inclusive of weekends, which is how Margaret Thatcher worked. But, of course, what we got instead was Boris Johnson. So, I mean, that's why we are where we are. I mean, you know, we wouldn't have got we wouldn't have had the breakthrough or parent breakthrough in 2019 were it not for Boris's skills, political skills, and that's something one must say, but we wouldn't have seen it unravel so completely since then if it had not been for Boris as well. You can't really rely on him, and that's now, I think, become blindingly obvious, and unfortunately, there is no one else at the in the leadership of the Conservative Party who has either the skill to mount a major pushback against this, or who has the administrative and managerial abilities that say a Thatcher might have done, or you know, another time Clement Attlee would have done in order to pull this all together and to make it work.
0: Yeah, the the EU, that's always their game plan. Always is to exhaust the opponent. Which which is exactly what they believe they're going to do to Russia. That's a, that's a different video. But you want to know why the EU believes they could beat Russia because they always win by exhausting the opponent and they actually yes. think that they'll be able to exhaust Russia. But well, anyway, it's uh, it just another, story, it just so hit another me subject in, as you said. That's that's how yeah. they're yeah, it's another subject, but that's their exact strategy. You want to know what the yeah. EU strategy is to beat Russia, that's it. Um <laughs> yes. did, did uh did, did, did Nigel Farage make a mistake by agreeing with uh with the conservatives back at those elections should he have gone for the for the kill shot and uh and decided to to win whatever seats he could have won instead of yes, I, giving I, his support I, 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 for I the conservatives to me to me going back to the whole Russia Ukraine thing it does kind of remind me a bit of how Putin trusted Merkel and and Hollande with the Minsk agreement the same way that Farage trusted the Conservatives. They always come back and betray you. And I think, maybe this is a stretch, but I think that's what's, that's what they did to Farage, and that's what's happening to I, I, Farage's I, I,
1: agreement to support them. I think he did make, I think he made a big mistake, actually. I mean, at the time back in 2019, during the election, um, when he basically said that he was not going to a uh, field candidates in conservative seats. I thought that was a mistake. I think that if he'd won a number of MPs, we would have, ha- which he might have done, by the way, in that kind of situation, he might have won some MPs. Um, he would have been in a position to put much greater pressure on the Conservative Party. Uh, the fundamental problem with Farage, and this is where you know, um, I am somebody who does not agree with the mainstream view in Britain. The fundamental problem with Farage is he's not really a politician. He doesn't like this. He doesn't like going on and fighting the same battle again and again. He believes, he generally believes in Brexit. He's got the skill and the political ability to communicate his ideas to the British people. But whenever he thinks the battle is won, or whenever he sees a way of winning the battle as he sees it, without, you know, carrying on, fighting relentlessly, keeping going year after year after year after year. He he takes a step away from politics. He did that after the 2016 Brexit referendum. And basically he did that in 2019. He said, look, Johnson says... Let's get Brexit done. That was the Conservative slogan in the 2019 election. So Farage says, look, I don't particularly like Johnson, but, you know, he's now committed to getting Brexit done. So this is my chance to step away. Better Johnson wins with a big majority, which will be to some extent down to me, uh, rather than have Corbyn win, because Corbyn is surrounded by Remainers, including Keir Starmer, And he will probably go for a second referendum and we'll be, you know, exhausted in, you know, we'll have to fight the whole battle all over again. In my opinion, there was never any chance that that Corbyn and the Labour Party were going to win the election in 2019. I think we was I was saying that, you know, pretty much through 2019. And looking back, I think it's even more clear cut that there was no way Labour was going to win the 2019 election, if the conservatives had won with a smaller majority against a strong Brexit party, which had won, let us say, one or two or three seats and therefore had a voice in the House of Commons, that would have completely changed the entire political dynamic in Britain. It would have meant that the Conservative Party would have been much more afraid of um barrage of the Brexit Party, of electoral consequences to themselves in their heartlands, if um, they you know veered away from Brexit. It might have acted as a spur on Johnson and might even have kept him more focused on Brexit, though that would have been a hard call. And it would have given Farage himself a platform if he managed to get himself elected to the house of commons that he might have built on but of course he didn't do that as i said he wanted to leave politics he thought that he could leave it to johnson and we see the result so that's the problem in order to you know to win a thick cause like this you need to be somebody very very committed to it but it wears you down and you know because you're up against this immovable object, the British establishment of the EU establishment. And, you know, the point came when Johnson felt tired. The same, by the way, is true of Scottish independence. You know, there was this enormous, charismatic person, Alex Salmond, who genuinely believed in Scottish independence. He won by a landslide, a victory in Scotland. He established the SNP as the dominant party in Scotland. He brought the SNP to within a few votes of winning the uh, Scottish independence referendum in 2015. At that point, he became very tired. He stepped away. The person who took over was Nicola Sturgeon, who I think he thought he could trust. Nicola Sturgeon was quickly assimilated into the British establishment and, of course, Scottish independence, which in 2015 looked like it was just a few years away, hasn't happened. So that's the problem you face. You're up against this immovable object, which is the British establishment, and it's very, very difficult to break it, break through it. Now, just coming back to your other point about Ukraine, you're absolutely right. If you your, your your previous point, talk about Ukraine all the time, you know, talk incessantly about the subject of Vladimir Putin, this evil dictator who's there in the in the east, keep everybody you know uh, nervous and excited about this topic, and of course that diverts attention away from Brexit, including in these very deeply patriotic former Labour, working-class Red Wall constituencies. And, of course, uh, that makes it much easier for you in that case to get Brexit reversed by stealth. And I don't think there's any doubt at all that this is well understood, if not by Johnson, then certainly by other people within the British establishment. And it goes very far to explaining what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. I believe the
0: the working class people understand this as well. I don't think they've been fooled by by the Ukraine distraction, no doubt. But they use it. The the political yeah. elite use it. This distraction. Yes. But I yes. don't think it's really fooling. Maybe people in London. I don't know. I don't know the situation. Maybe the in in, in the city of London, they're they're excited and and worried and panicked about you know evil Vladimir Putin. But my sense tells me that outside of London, the, uh, the, the population is not, is not fooled by this. I, I, I don't know.
1: That, I think you're probably right, though it's very difficult to get a real sense of this. Of course, opinion polls would lead you to think that you know the British nation is united in the cause of Ukraine. And I, I read an opinion poll the other day which said that 40% of people in Britain had given a donation to Ukraine. Now, that already tells me that there's something wrong with these statistics because um can i just say um, at the height of the fervor over ukraine in the spring and summer um if you went to your supermarket or your shop you were basically told to give donations that you know if you spend all this money you know buying your groceries if you just gave a pound away um it would be A donation firstly they said to ukraine and they stopped saying that and then they said to some sort of good cause or other and of course it's difficult because you know if you go to the cash desk and the cashier asks you to do that and if people are buying lots of groceries that's how they tend to pay for them well then you tend to do that you tend to say yes and as a result it's quite easy to bump it up and give the impression that 40 percent of the population you know, willingly gave donations to Ukraine. I'm sure many British people experienced this. I mean, um, I never did that because I could see what it was about. But, you know, when people have got, you know, large trolleys full of things piled up and, you know, they're in queues and there's other people waiting, it's very easy to see how that happens. So that gives you an idea of how, these opinion polls can be manipulated and how these surveys of opinion can be manipulated. I've never got the sense that outside London, in London itself, there is a genuine fervid Blairite, Cameroonite, you know, know, Cameron, Cameron, uh, David Cameron, our previous prime minister, centrist, pro-EU, pro-Remain, pro-Ukraine sort of lobby. By the way, people who are very pro-Remain, tend to be very pro-Ukraine. I mean, the the, the two almost conflate. So you you will find that community very much in London. I suspect you're right. I suspect in the more tough-minded, hard-nosed, working-class communities um, in the Midlands and in the north of England, it's different there. But I haven't been travelling around very much, so I can't say that for certain
0: anyway uh brexit uh being reversed okay that's you know well what, what a story and, brexit has been uh,
1: well another another <laughs> another chapter in the decline of britain i mean this is i think the, the key thing to understand i mean and um i was at a event on saturday uh which is a peace event i mean it was one you know that's um, um was organised in conjunction with the, you know, Rage Against the War protest at the Lincoln Memorial, uh, the bigger, much bigger protest that's taken place in Berlin. Um, But anyway, I was there. And um, one one did get the sense that, you know, this, this sort of thing, was going on, but one of the speakers at this rally did make a point, and I think this is absolutely true. It was George Galloway, can I just say, and he said that in his political lifetime, he has never felt that the British establishment is as nervous and as edgy and as in- feels itself as insecure as it does now. And I agree with that one hundred percent. That's very much my sense, that there's deep content amongst the British people for their establishment, their political establishment now. And many of them will say, well, we fought this Brexit battle. We fought it very hard. We've lost again. But that won't make us like (laughs) the British leadership, the British political class even more. It will deepen that sense of demoralisation and cynicism and disempowerment that has now become so pervasive across British society and which is itself now contributing to the decline. Yeah. All right. Let's end it
0: there. The com. We are on Rockfin as well. And go to the Durand shop, 10% off. Use the code. Good A. Take care.